Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, good friend of the program, Matt Penny, is here. We're going to chat all about... About guards in the 2022 NBA draft. But first, Penny, we have to talk about Boston sports and how I'm now apparently just like diving into Boston sports. Mm, I like love this it. is this is life now, unfortunately, for me. It's so good. It's so good. And I've slowly been peppering you for Boston sports. And I feel like the tide's turned a little bit on on Red Sox fans and fandom because they break the curse, and, and it was kind of viewed as not an evil empire, but this kind of juggernaut. And, and now it's becoming not America's team, but it feels more of like a, a weird feel-good story. So just to, to let people in a little bit, I, when I was at Fenway for the wild card plan, I sent Sam a picture, and I said, just so you know what I'm walking into, I sent him a picture of a guy uh, changing his shirt on the side of the road because he's putting a jersey on. And people do that all the time, normally. But this guy just, like, did it and was, like, in between shirts, like, holding the other one. I just tried to tell Sam, like, this is this is Boston. I, I hope you embrace our, our friendship because this is what I, I live with on a daily basis here. Well, I feel like there are a lot of similarities between Boston and Pittsburgh in that way. Like, you get a lot of the same... A lot of the same people let's go with and apparently yes, yes. uh so I, i've been made aware that while there have been like a million boston shows over the years there have not been many pittsburgh shows there's a new pittsburgh show on showtime called um american rust which i watched the first half of the first episode i'm pretty sure i'm in like i'll watch the whole thing and get back to people i'll probably be like 100 percent in it has jeff daniels it has more tyranny like it's a big it's a big show right um I'm excited that we get to like share that share that commonality of uh, I don't I don't even know what to call it like what do you how how do you how do you phrase it like is it like a certain, it's a certain kind of white people really and particularly <laughs> like white men uh, it's like that. The Pittsburgh there's, there's, and Boston there's plenty of those share. in Boston yes there's plenty of that we checked that box <laughs> it's, a, it's a certain kind. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm glad to pick up Boston as a, the Boston Red Sox, but I, I got to be honest, like the, the whole reason we're picking up the Red Sox here is that they just like got super drunk after the ALDS dancing to Dancing on My Own by Robin. Yes, the, the, the remix, and, the T.A. Stowe remix. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a great song and, and I couldn't hear it when they were first doing it. I'm like, I don't think they're doing this, are they? And sure they were. No, we're we're all in on uh, on the Boston Red Sox dancing to Robin. It, it's Robin. Like I, I don't give a shit about like Tiesto remixes. No, <laughs> I don't it's, either. But that's the remix. I, I don't know who you credit for for that type of stuff. But it, it is those kind of feel good moments that you see in the locker room where they they could really be singing or dancing to anything. And they did sing to J Rock win afterwards, so they they bounced that out a little bit. But uh, Robin was their roots. <laughs> they they started with Robin. That was what uh, drove them to prominence. 
Yeah. Any anytime that you can see a uh, group of like burly like baseball players just jamming to Robin. I mean, who amongst us hasn't like gotten drunk with their friends and like scream, shouted, sang Robin? Oh, like, come it, on now. It's that or the solo drive by yourself and you keep on like slowly turning it up a little bit more. <laughs> but you're like, kind of looking around if you're like driving through the suburbs. Like, Is anyone else noticing that I'm I'm doing this? That was somewhere at at UMass for UMass Lacrosse. They couldn't. The bars couldn't play. Don't stop believing. Because they would act like they just won, I don't know, the World Cup or they'd go in and lacrosse and just be beers everywhere and a disaster. And they'd have to, like, clean up the whole place. So that was on, like, the do not play list. Do not play. Don't stop believing. Ever. <laughs> Wait, what was the, like, big college song when you were in college? Oh, I that, don't... like, people would, like, sing at the bar. It, it, was, it was so kind of, like, cyclical. It, it, there wasn't one that I'm like, that's, like, the song. Mm, there, there really wasn't. Yeah. The, the one that, like, stands out, because, like, Call Me Maybe came out, like, right when I was in college. Ooh, yes. Like, right, like, 21, 22 years old, like, going to the bar, like, in the afternoon with my friends. Like, that was, that that had to be it. And just, like, looking back, I mean, that's the that's the one that sounds ridiculous, right? It is. It, it was uh, it was right after me. But I, I do remember partying in the USA being a, a movement. That was like a real thing where everyone mm. just kind of like drops the gloves and says, this is the song that's going to unite us all. Don't care who's watching me sing. Like, this is the one. Uh, yeah, yeah. I feel I feel like we all have those songs in college, unfortunately. But uh, instead of reminiscing about our college days, let's uh, let's talk about the college days of some other nba prospects here we'll talk about the red sox at the end because i I know that you want to you want to talk about the red sox and your excitement about a boston sports team finally having a chance to win a title again i know i mean oh my god right long long time it's been a while (laughs) so what do we think of this guard class it feels like the one group of players where there are a lot of potential options that could be really good and like a lot of them like i can see like a group of honestly like there are probably 40 guys where i'm like okay if this guy turns into a draftable prospect like i would not be blown away by that by any stretch but i also am concerned that there isn't a lot of high-end talent in terms of this guard class not a ton of superstars. That was that was kind of what stood out for me too. As as we, we sent names back and forth about uh, who to talk about, there's just a lot of similar pieces. There's a lot of guys that are similar height wise and similar stylistically, and, and maybe more scores than actually point guards and facilitators. So it's it's a deep class for for guards and numbers, but I don't think it's very deep in terms of like superstar caliber type guys at the top of the draft there'll be a couple but there is also a, a drop off similar to the wings where you get past the first few and it, it's hard to really project where a lot of these guys will be because there's guys who can make jumps where i think we're anticipating and then some we don't even really know about yet and, and that's what the beauty of actually playing the games and and not doing all these preseason awards we see coming out and you know, remy martin's preseason player of the year it's like he transferred he hasn't even played a game yet so with, there, there's still a lot of things to figure out that's that's one of the funniest awards like i saw it's mark so titus like, so stupid tweet uh remy martin continuing to fill that preseason uh like trophy case or whatever with another one <laughs> like when are we gonna talk about the fact that like remy martin is not 
awesome. Like, oh, I, mean, <laughs> I didn't know where we're going there. He's a a, a volume shooter, a volume scorer. I, it just it doesn't make sense. That that one's like kind of whatever. Like preseason player of the year, he's SEC preseason player of the year, whatever. But like the preseason freshman of the year, that one never makes sense to me. Okay, it's just oh the, no, it's, here's it's, it's it's the highest ranked recruit. Like how how what's what metrics are we using for this? No, this is the funniest one. So Remy Martin is the Big Twelve preseason player of the year which is like laughable from a talent perspective. Like, I don't think Remy Martin's a top 50 player in college basketball even. Um, did you notice who the Big 12 newcomer of the year was? Uh, I didn't. I argued with a friend about who was on the first team, but I don't know who the newcomer was. It was Marcus Carr. So Remy <laughs> Martin, who is a newcomer to the Big 12, is the Big 12 Ma- preseason player uh, of the year my guess was Musa Cisse, who's like another one yeah, newcomer yeah I don't know. Of the year. nothing makes sense these guys are all transfers they haven't been there they're in all different conferences and they that's fine like the, the transfer portal's not going away that's fine but we can't give preseason player of the year it, it's like the yeah, it's like the big east coaches when they stonewalled uh james book night last year like no he's not first team you were in this league but i don't know it seems like the big 12 with open arms like give us everybody we'll give you all the awards yeah, what are we doing here? What are what are we doing here, Matt Penny? That's that's always my question. Um, uh, let, let's kind of dive in. So I guess that I have two guys where I'm like, okay, I think these two are definite top twenty picks. One of them I'd be pretty surprised if he wasn't a lottery pick. I think that there's just a very real like duo at the top that I feel most comfortable with. And they're both named Jaden, Jaden Hardy and Jaden Ivy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So let's start with Jaden Hardy because he's the guy that almost everyone seems to have ranked in the top five, right? Including myself. Like I have him at fifth right now. What is it about Jaden Hardy that you are most excited about? And what about Jaden Hardy's game do you think is most translatable to the NBA? The way he scores, he, he's certainly wired to score. At six foot four, if he gets a sliver of space, he's getting a shot off. And the makes he makes are, are pure. There, there's shooters bounces. There's no bounce around the rim. There's switches. And I love the form. I love his setup. The the catch. He tucks his elbow. It's a high release. Has really really deep range. And he can get himself open in, in different ways, where it's off the bounce or off screens. So that's the the exciting part for me. And and even more so, like there's some untapped on athleticism too like he has some bounce and he has some stuff at the rim but he's become such a strong shooter that he more relied on that this year and and his range is like volleyball line range like in in the gym he's he's pulling up and shooting and what kind of sticks out most to me is when you're you're at a program like the g league ignite and you're going to be in NBA sets right away. And we saw kind of the development almost from the first week with a guy like Jalen Green, who's a similar type of position, that he's going to be in that in that same developmental type program that I'm enthused that he could kind of be on that upward trajectory of adding more things and not just settling into being a jump shooter. Yeah, so definitely very jump shot heavy, but in a similar way to Cam Thomas last year where – I don't really care what the percentages right now say. And from what I gather and have kind of been told, the percentages with Jaden Hardy have not been particularly strong uh, over the course of his career. But I think that 
he can just shoot. Like he takes a lot of contested shots and that brings the percentage down. But you look at the jumper, you look at his comfort getting it off. You look at the rhythm throughout it. I have very little in the way of worries that he's going to be able to shoot. Right. Like you feel that way as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And particularly what I like about him is that he can get his shot off from a variety of different angles, from a variety of different footworks. Uh, he can go, you know, pull, it's almost always off of pull-ups. Like, he can go left, right into a foul line jumper pull-up. He can go right, left, plant uh, into, like, an 18-foot left, baseline jumper right like any sort of footwork that he needs to get a shot off and he does elevate with that jumper to get it off uh from a variety of angles i think he's going to be able to shoot it like to me he's gonna win by being like bradley beal right like that that's how he has to win he has to win by continuing to up his craft off the bounce and he is crafty off the bounce like i really like his change of pace i think he keeps the handle tight to the ground like he's pretty good i don't know if he's quite as shifty as what bradley beal has become but that's that's how he has to win long term and i think we'll see if he can do that basically and if he can bring enough to the table to where uh it's okay, or maybe he just brings so much as a scorer that it doesn't matter. But can he bring enough to the table to give him some margin for error as a scorer as well? And want him to be a little bit more of a facilitator and make others around him better. He played with Frankie Collins at Coronado High School in Nevada. Frankie's now at Michigan. He wasn't relied on to really be this offensive maestro, if you will, to set up other players. He's kind of getting his, but he can pass a little bit and he can play the the one and the two. I want him to pick his spots a little bit better within the flow of the offense on when to pull. But again, like the the hesitations we had with Jalen Green, these are the same exact kind of red flags. And I, I don't remember watching the G League games last year and saying beyond the first game or two, like, oh, that wasn't really like the shot there. Like he'll settle into what he has like an NBA approach and like a bag of moves, like you said, like the slow down to speed yeah. up. He doesn't just go a million miles per hour very nuanced in in the way he kind of approaches screens and set up ball screens so it's going to continue to expand too and and that's what i'm i'm hoping that we see early in the season from him too well here's what i'll say too like jalen green as an athlete just has way more margin for error than what Jaden hardy does like Jaden Hardy, who will play for the ignite this year i think that matt mentioned it in passing but i didn't necessarily mention it uh He's an okay athlete. Like, I don't think he's a wildly explosive athlete, which again is why I kind of bring up the name Bradley Beal because, you know, Brad is not a wild athlete. But I think that that, again, is how Jaden Hardy is going to have to win. He's going to have to win through, uh, uh, I guess what is what is the term I'm looking for here, through craftiness and through uh, all sorts of different shiftiness and different ways to get defenders off balance as opposed to Jalen Green, who can just kind of explode in and out of moves and (laughs) is so explosive. Like even just on something as simple as a step back, like 
Jalen Green creates more separation going backward on his step back than what Jaden Hardy does because Jaden Hardy just isn't that level of explosive, right? No, and, and Jalen Green can get away with some of those things because he can take off in the air and he can readjust his body twice before you've done it once and extend and, and finish at the rim and turn his hand over and dunk. Those those are kind of the, the differences between those two guys. I'm also curious if I think for you and I, we, we bumped them later, but a guy like Cam Thomas, who's similar size and, and shot it a lot in college, he did. I, I wonder if kind of his success early in the summer league and early in the preseason changes any notions on these high-volume shooting, scoring-type guards where clearly it's already working. I know preseason isn't the same thing as a regular season, but he's not having a problem getting a shot off and scoring at a high clip. Yeah, and again with Cam, like I don't think anyone had that worry either. No. It was more how does everything else look? Like Cam Thomas has been an elite scorer at every single level, and Jaden Hardy has been that as well. He's right. been an elite scorer at every single level. He hasn't been quite as elite statistically as what Cam Thomas was, but it's pretty close at the end of the day. And Jaden's game is a little bit more well rounded. Like he's not a total negative defensively. He's not a total negative as a ball handler and um, not as a ball handler, I'm sorry, but as a decision maker and passer. So again, he already has more room for error than what Cam Thomas is, but I think you might be right. Like you might be correct that the league might be more willing to take a risk on some of these guys that are, that just have so much in their bag already as a scorer and can create that way. Uh, even if they are deficient in certain other parts of their game, because Jaden Hardy right now is not yet like an NBA average passer and distributor and decision maker for what his role will be in the NBA. Uh, He's not yet a league average defender for what his role will be in the NBA. So it, we'll see what happens with Jaden Hardy. Like I am really excited to see what he looks like in the G league. I would expect points. There will be points. Yes, there will be blood. There will be points. He, he's, at the very least, a, a very strong two-level scorer right now. If he can really add some more to his finishing package, I think that would uh, that would help his case, anyway, to be in that discussion for that top three to five guys. Okay, let's go to Jaden Ivey now, who's a 6'4 guard at Purdue. Uh, a little bit more athletic, in my opinion, than what Jaden Hardy is. More questions on the jumper, though, and... I don't necessarily know that there are the similar questions as a passer, but it's probably pretty close. Like they're probably, they're definitely both more on the scoring side of the ledger than the distribution side. Yeah. He sort of still a a head scratch for me because he came on late in the NCAA season and he had that 26 point performance when Purdue was, was knocked out of the tournament by North Texas. And then he had a good summer. He won a gold medal with team USA U19, had 16 points in championship game versus France. He was second on the team in scoring, named the all-tournament team. But last year, he was a, a sub-40% shooter from the field, barely, 39.9, 26% from three. His form isn't bad. It, it's pretty compact. He goes straight up and down. But he just needs to shoot it for me to to really get on board. Like I'm not worried about him getting paint touches um, in on his first step. He's pretty dexterous around the rim. He moves, from away, moves well away from the ball. It's... How much of a jump is his shooting going to take? Is he going to be a thirty-four percent shooter? Are we going to try to like sell ourselves if he's still around that thirty percent? Like, what's it really going to take? So this is where I think having the knowledge of his high school numbers is important because 
Jaden Ivey was a consistent 40% three-point shooter in high school. Like, all three years. His last two years at, is it is it Marion in Indiana, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly? And his final year at La Lu, he was a 40% three-point shooter. And to me, that says quite a bit in terms of just there being a lot of upside for his jump shot. Like, I don't think it's broken by any stretch. He had a couple games last year. Like, go back and watch the game against Ohio State. Like, that dude caught fire and made, like, four or five threes against Ohio State. And they got to the point where it was like, okay, we're leaving him open. We're much more worried about him driving to, oh, no, we got to we gotta close out on this dude. He's going <laughs> to can well, a three in the second half if we don't, that, right? Yeah, and that's the next dimension. And it, it was a, a small number. He only took 97 threes last year. It was 25 for 97. So we don't want to overreact, I guess, completely on the whole season. We don't want to overreact completely on a, on a single game. But there, there does need to be stuff there. I mean, the, the high school numbers are great, but that line's a little bit closer. You're a lot more comfortable playing there than you are on the road at Ohio State or other places in the Big Ten. Purdue's going to be really, really good, and he's going to have plenty of opportunities to show it. Uh, I was just – I knew that he kind of, like, danced a little bit with the draft last year. I wasn't as high as some people were and just not as high going into the preseason, I guess. I know he's going to have a, a great season, but there's still pieces to his game that I want to see get a little bit better before I throw him in that kind of lottery talk. Yeah, and I would like to see him become more comfortable as a distributor consistently as well. Like he seems to, instead of take what comes to him, he's a guy that does more of the, okay, I'm going to shift into distribution mode. Okay, I'm going to shift into scoring mode as opposed to melding the two together in a real way that I think is really important for an NBA lead guard. So, or even like a combo guard at the NBA level. So th- that's where I'm a little bit worried right now. And he, uh, on and, and he, and he, more has, than and he has that with the first step too. It's like he, he can beat his guy, but it's a great point. It's like, you have to be able to mesh those worlds together where if a guy rotates up, you're able to still see in the corner and not try to jump in and finish at the rim every single time. Yeah, totally. Um, Let's go to the let's take a quick commercial break and then we'll go to the freshman class because the freshman class is uh could be really good, could be not good at all. I think there's <laughs> a lot to be lots to kind of lay out there. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity 
but it's also just a gold mine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, we're back. Interesting freshman class. I have six names that I want to talk about uh, from this group that I think have potential to be legit, like one and done, high level players this year. We're going to include John Montero in here because he is playing for Overtime Elite. He's uh, been playing over in Europe for a couple of years, if I remember correctly. He's from the Dominican Republic, right? Yes. And. Very creative, like one of the most fun bits of tape to watch for any player in this NBA draft, like his ability to get in and out of his handle and into his pull up game is ridiculous. I don't know if he can do anything else right now, but he fills it up though. He fills it up. Like he really, really scores it. Yeah. Like to me, it's like a better version of Trey man is like kind of the way I'm thinking of it right now. I mean, right now, and, and when I watch the tape, and I, I haven't seen him in person, I ha- I was also drawn to those kind of situational scoring instincts he had. Like he's going to attack different defenders in different ways based on their size and, and coverage, and then he'll pull it from three, and he can push it the next time down the court, or, or then he can get to his floater. He can finish with both hands. He plays out a pick and roll, and he he's done it at at every level that he's played at, and he's with that Grand Canaria B team and turn heads as a younger player on U16 and U17 with a FIBA it's he can score and he's advanced in those kind of like weird off leg awkward finishes in traffic beyond that I'm with you I I don't know really what else to to do with him and and I know just based on overtime and what they are in their structure he's going to score a lot too I, I don't know what the development will look like there yeah like really needs to improve as a distributor and passer really needs to improve as a defender like where he is right now the upside exists for him to be like a borderline starting caliber guard uh if he continues to improve his overall craft as a scorer and shooter and frankly like for lead guards like you can make a case that the ability to separate and get to your pull-up game is the most important skill right now in the nba but there's just a lot there that he needs to continue to work on 
in my opinion, uh, to get to the point where he is going to be a uh, a legitimate option as a potential starting NBA guard. Like right now, the, the upside is like the upside is low level starter, but I think the most likely outcome is probably like backup guard, right? Yeah. And I, I don't know if that's a that's telling as an early read here or, or an ominous sign for the draft that a lot of places have him slotted mid first and we're saying, I don't know if he starts. And there's drafts in the past where we're getting to the twenties, we're saying he's got a chance. So there there is a dip and then for the team that he's on for overtime elite, they divided him into threes. He's on the same team as Jay Zion Gortman, who's another kind of fast push it guard. That being said, I, I kind of envision the two of those guys taking turns as scoring off the ball, playing combo, playing the lead guard. So he'll, he'll have different looks and the opportunity to kind of show that he's willing and able to pass and not always get buckets. Yeah, we're, we're in on the Jay-Z on Gortman experience, right? Oh, I am. Yeah. Yeah, I like him a lot. Yeah. Yeah, like he's one of the guys on the like OTE team that I've now watched, and I'm like, oh, he actually might have it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, he's one of my favorite guys on on that roster. There's a lot of names, and a lot of guys are just like whatever, but I really like him. Yeah, like that. That's a that's one where I've watched him, and I just kind of get it in terms of the athleticism and the ability to play like as a lead guard. Like that could actually really just work at the NBA level. Um, okay. Next up is a group of three SEC freshman guards. Kennedy Chandler, Ty Ty Washington, J.D. Davison. Which one do you want to go with first? Mm, let's, let's start with Kennedy Chandler. Okay. So about six foot one, 165 pounds. And it's just really hard to win at the NBA level being that size. And that, frankly, is going to turn some NBA teams off just like immediately because, again, it is almost impossible to win at the NBA level consistently at that size. So how good is Kennedy Chandler that, like, I still have him as a first-round pick? Uh, I think that you probably going into the year would consider him a first-round pick. Like, how, how does he overcome that size? Well, he he's at Tennessee. Let's start with, with that. And you're playing for Rick Barnes and the, their standards for, for getting on the court and defending and, and staying out there, which, which I think he'll meet. This is this is a little bit lazy, but he's he's had this for a while. This you're a little bit small, but he's at six foot one. He he's a winner. He's a, a state runner up in in Tennessee before he, he left there to to finish out at Sunrise Christian. He is a two time Mister Basketball. He won a Peach Jam Championship. He was twenty one and four at Sunrise Academy. They made the Geico National Championship. McDonald's All-American, gold with Team USA. So he's kind of had these things against him. And I know you can throw that out the window when you start talking about the NBA stuff. He's going to have to rely more on his speed and kind of what he does in the open court, more so than the half court. Because when you get in the half court, like you said, you can just get exposed being small like that. You have to have this like extreme skill or separator that, that makes you so much better. And they can keep you out there defensively, too, and, and not get exposed. He does have deep range on a shot when his feet are set, but I wouldn't necessarily say he's a, a shooter. I, I do like it that he wants the ball in his hands with the game on the line. He's not afraid of the big moment. He showed that the high school level. He showed that with, with Team USA. Uh, I, I know all this stuff sounds very noncommittal, but I, I can't stamp him yet 
as a lottery pick, and I can't stamp him yet as saying he's a top 20 guy, simply just based on history. And if we're, we're playing the numbers, it's hard at, at that size to be a, a no-brainer top 10, top 15 guy. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, I, I like all of the traits that you just said. Like, he knows how to manage a game. Like, we just kind of talked about with Jaden Ivey. He's a kind of player that hasn't really figured out how to mesh the distribution aspect of his game with the scoring aspect. Kennedy Chandler knows exactly how to do both and can do both at the same on the same possession. Mm -hmm. Like it's simple for him. Like he just has that innate basketball sense. He has great court vision. Like he uh, can make. I don't want to say every pass off of a live dribble, but like he can make a lot of high level passing reads and like he knows how to get into the middle of the court and then collapse the defense and has that poise and patience to be able to make plays off of that. Uh, Different player than the Jaden Springer, Keon Johnson duo that was there last year and a different player that I think is more likely to earn the trust of Rick Barnes early in his career because of his basketball sense and his just inherent knowledge of making the right play. Yes. Right. He'll, he'll have the keys early because there was times last year too when, when Rick Barnes was hesitant with Santiago Viscovi as your, your point guard who can score it, but he, he can be looser at times. And Kenny Chandler's more of the guy like, get me the ball, take a breath at half court, let's set up the pick and roll. I'm only going to shoot if the guy goes under, but if not, if he hard hedges, recover slow, he's going to skip it opposite, hit the big that's wide open the dunker spot. Like he, he sees all the options on the court. And as a coach, that kind of like puts you at peace and puts you at ease. Whereas last year, you didn't really know with Keon Johnson and Jane Springer. If there's games that are going to have 25 each, games are going to disappear. Like, I don't think, regardless of what he is as a pro, I don't think Kenny Chandler is ever going to be, like, invisible on the court. That's just not who he is. Well, and here's what my worry is on Kennedy Chandler. It's, he's six foot one, you know, 165, 170 pounds, whatever we want to call him, right? How much do we buy the shot? Because ultimately that's, going to be the number one thing like i feel pretty good when he's pulling up from mid-range i don't know how good i feel about him like stepping it out from three right now consistently it just depends if his feet are set i'm I'm fine with it ball reversal i'm fine with it if if a guy goes under the pick and roll and he kind of has that extra half a second to get set as opposed to going off the bounce i'm okay but movement stuff from from three it's it's just not there yet it's not and that, that's why like I, I take pause because we, we saw a guy like Sharif Cooper who's just unbelievable out of the pick and roll and the vision and the reads that he makes too still comes back to the shooting. Shot it well for a game or two in summer league, but if you don't do it all the time, it's just hard to keep you out on the floor in the NBA. Yeah, and you know Sharif Cooper is a guy who I think is a live dribble passer, like the passing that really translates in and out of sets in NBA settings. I think he's pretty severely ahead of where Kennedy is right now. So, uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm like not even totally convinced that Kennedy Chandler is a first round pick yet. He could earn that. Like he definitely could earn that throughout the year and prove himself. That would not surprise me at all. Just given the mentality, the basketball IQ, the court sense, like all of that, like I would totally buy that, but the tools just aren't 
kind of there and that makes it really really hard when the tools aren't there i feel like he's at least listening to the right people though because the fiba stuff this summer he did rely much more on his jumper in international play than he did yep. kind of domestically yep. here where he can he can really get in the lane and, and really slice up defenses off the bounce in high school but you could tell he, he started to kind of mold his game to the way the fiba style is and hit some jumper i think he averaged seven point seven points per game so he's not hard-headed that he thinks he's going to play this one style and that's going to take him to the next level yeah totally i agree with all that okay let's go to ty ty washington next so not a crazy explosive athlete but is bigger at six foot three what do we want to call ty ty like 190 pounds 200 pounds mm, yeah say 190 i think it's quite 200 yeah i would say that's probably right so when I watch Ty Ty, I think tremendous shooter, really, really good passer, like sees all of the passes on the court consistently in a way that you need to in order to be successful whenever you don't win on explosiveness, right? Because his first step is not great. He's not an explosive athlete. I even think his handle is just okay, in terms of creativity like he has a tight handle and he has good footwork like he's good once he picks the ball up and can euro step and yeah. can do some uh different little poised moves like he doesn't get flustered with the ball but it's hard to win as a lead guard when you're not crazy explosive like I, i've seen the name chauncey billups come up with him and like that that's how he has to win he has to win by being like a chauncey billups type who uses his physicality and oh by the way like ty ty washington does have like that similar post game by the way to what chauncey billups had it's just that how often are nba teams going to post him up in the nba uh as a six foot three guard he'll do it in mismatches but it's just harder to find those mismatches now in the nba where it's going to be a legitimate advantage for him so uh really interesting player i've heard great things coming out of kentucky so far teams that have seen his practice and uh all that stuff but just have some questions i think still about uh how how does he win as a lead guard at the nba level it might have to be next to another lead guard where he's a great shooter and a great decision maker and passer and he ends up turning into a great defender uh We'll just have to see, I think. And Chauncey Phillips was in Boston briefly as a pro. And when you pull up his stats, too, Chauncey Phillips shot almost 40% from three for his career. I don't I don't think yep. that's that's what Ty Ty he, – he is also sort of this late bloomer in that he was committed to go to Creighton, decommitted, went to Kentucky, and, and he spearheaded the Arizona Compass Prep team out uh, – in Arizona, obviously – but to the number one spot in the country – during that season which just hadn't been done before so there is something in that he has a very good in-between game he knows how to get his points but there's not like a a foolproof thing that this is his move he's 6'3 so he's not a jumbo guard he's not really a jet off the dribble but kind of gets where he needs to so i don't i don't know what to do with him from that perspective either because you're gonna have to pair him next to another i'd say probably bigger guard in the nba because you're not gonna guard twos at at six foot three I don't necessarily think he's he's a point guard. I, I, I will say this: like 
I think he might be able to deal with some twos once he gets strong. Like once he like fills out his body yeah. more, like he's big enough and strong enough in terms of frame to where he might be able to deal with some twos. I'm sold as him as a, a very good college player. I just have to see how it is against the monsters and the SEC and, and how he fares. And, and that'll kind of give us hopefully enough clues. And Kentucky has uh, a treasure trove of, of options in, in the backcourt that kind of pair him with. Like do you play him with? Severe Wheeler, who's smaller, and then he's at two at six three. That's fine. Playing with Kellen Grady, who's kind of similar size. So, how he matches up outside of the the high school setting will will give us a little bit more of indicators of, of what it could look like. I was just surprised. I know he he's on the the late kind of rocket ship of the prospect. Nobody wants to get wrong because he got good late. But I, I've still been surprised that his name kind of pops up middle first right now because I I don't know the the translation it's not one of these no-brainers where like jane hardy's gonna score he's six four he shoots it from outer space like it's fine like he's he that's gonna work i don't i'm not saying it doesn't work with tai tai i just don't know how it works well i think that the key here is something we've talked about a lot in this series of podcasts like who do you rank over him yeah on some level right yeah. like that, that's really it like who do you rank over him right now and i don't have an answer to that once you get within the top 20 right like or once you get outside of the top 20 i'm sorry uh it's, it's just hard to find the guys like it's really <laughs> our, our really is, hard our list is 50 guys from from 20 and down we, we've made that joke before too like you can't have a lottery grade yeah. on on 60 guys we don't we don't have that. I feel last year for a while there was a lot of guys really in that top ten that are just elbowing each other, and they're, they're the players just for this point in time today on October whatever it is there there hasn't been that. Uh, and and games start soon enough in in a few weeks the countdown is actually on. Until then it's we're just kind of moving around chairs. Yeah, it's it's hard to find enough guys. Well, there's enough like, guys. We're, we'll talk. To 100 plus, we're done, and I'm sure we missed a half dozen that'll get drafted. But well, I, there, I don't there are a know, lot of guys, but I don't know how to rank them. I, I'll, I'll be completely honest, and I, I spent a lot of this time this offseason rewatching tons of tape. Thank you, Synergy. Uh, there's not a lot else uh, to do out there, even the FIBA stuff, but it's still, I, I still, there wasn't any of these things or hints that I said, you know what, we missed that. Jaden Ivey's fifth in the draft. Hard stop. Like, that's the guy. Ben Matherin, that's the guy. Ty Ty Washington, he's 12th. I don't feel confident in, in any of these takes yet. Yeah, I don't either. Like, I, I want to be clear about that. <laughs> Please keep like, listening. No we'll faith. get better with time. It's just hard to come up with names. It's hard to come up with names right now. Uh, it's hard to come up with names that you feel confident in. That's what it is. At this point yeah. in draft season. So... With Ty Ty, I think that what you got at, like how does Kentucky play? I think that's actually kind of a credit to him, and it's something that could translate to the NBA. Like, I'd feel pretty okay playing him next to Severe Wheeler and Kellen Grady. I feel pretty okay playing him next to uh Kellen Grady and like three, four, like wings and forwards, right? Uh, I think that you can play him at the one or the two and his skill set is versatile enough as a shooter and passer to where it just like he'll be fine. Yeah. Like he'll make it work because he's scalable off ball. Yes. Like that's something I'm writing about right now. Like I think that the breakout players article that I'm writing for the athletic probably will be out by the time this goes live because I think this is going to go live on Friday. Um, 
I'm writing about Darius Garland, and I think Darius Garland has an incredibly scalable game from having spent so many years playing off ball in high school and in AAU. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't really become a point guard until he was what, like a junior in high school, yeah, like, realistically. Mm-hmm. So I kind of think that Ty Ty Washington has a very scalable game to playing both on and off the ball. If anything, I'm more worried about him playing on the ball because I'm just worried about the separation that he can get from NBA level length and talent. Like that might not work, but I, I think he's going to be really good this year. Yeah, like I, I yeah. think he's going to be really, really effective for Kentucky this year. He'll, he'll find his way on the court, and um, they're not the same, and, and don't take this so literally. But I, I felt that way on Keldon Johnson out of high school too. I didn't really know like what mm. his position was, but I knew I wanted him out there. And that's how I feel about Ty Ty. You want him out there, he'll figure out. It's sort of like that internet sensation from a few months ago. Is he a basketball player or is he a hooper? Like, he's a hooper. He's going to go out there and he'll be fine. Like, he's going to help win the games. He did it in high school. He'll do it in college. I just don't know what the the position will be if and when the next level comes along. Okay. The final SEC point guard here is J.D. Davison. I would say J.D. Davison is the one that we have the most questions on right now. Uh, NBA scouts who have been down there to Alabama have also had some questions so far. Uh, Not in terms of the overall talent, just in terms of... Is it going to be like, is he a one and done or not? Like they totally buy the athleticism. Like the guy can live in the paint and he's six foot three and he's uh, just like a ridiculous athlete. Uh, Like his leaping ability is real, but it's just, he came from like small town, Alabama and hasn't played a crazy amount of super high level basketball yet like even by high school standards he has not played like a high level of basketball yet so the questions that scouts have raised for me and uh, i think they're reasonable are, are just simply can he shoot which has always been a question with him how comfortable is the jump shot and second how comfortable is he going to be running an offense when the jump in competition level is just going to be really, really high for him from day one. And when the court's cut in half, near the half court, because he, he has played so much up and down. He's from a very small town, and you're right. He just hasn't had the, the reps, the repetitions of, of playing uh, a large number of bigger-time games because like he went to a grassroots tryout to, to play on his team in the Nike UIBL. Like, that's unheard of for a kid like this just because no one really knew about him. And he has this super explosiveness, like highlight level, highlight reel, jumps off the fast break, and if he, he gets a step, he's going to try to take off and jump. He's an energy guy, really, on, on both ends and another sort of late riser. I actually like his vision. And he can pull up a little bit when his man does go under screens. The shot is a little bit flat. He, he's great on the break. He just needs to make an impact and make basketball plays when the game is actually played slower. And we know how fast Alabama likes to play. We know how many threes they want to take up. But when the the uh, dimensions of the court change and it's not a track meet, how is he able to, to make his imprint on the game? That That's always been my concerned with him uh, once he gets to college level which by the way it's going to be really interesting uh to compare and contrast him and kennedy chandler this year i think right yeah, very different. because kennedy chandler 
is a lot of the stuff that J.D. Davison isn't. J.D. Davison is a lot of stuff in terms of tools that Kennedy Chandler just doesn't have yet. Uh, I would venture Kennedy Chandler is a more successful season this year than J.D. Davison. I would venture that J.D. Davison, if it hits, I mean, that guy's upside is just higher because he's 6'3". He's a real athlete. Like he has real vision he can distribute like there there's just enough there and playing in alabama's offense is gonna help him long term again though i I just wonder if he's a two-year player not a one-year player yeah it could be you kind of have my brain spinning a little bit because you're absolutely right like if you (laughs) we say this a lot I said if you combined Usman Garuba and Alperin Shangun, it's a perfect five. And now you're talking about like the perfect point guard in the SEC. Like you have the explosiveness, you have the floor general, knows how to play and make the right reads. It, it also could be a situation where if they both go pro, Kenny Chandler could have a better season statistically and more minutes played. And you just have these tiny pockets and windows of the J.D. Davidson experience and, and scouts just can't pass on him for a guy who's maybe a little bit smaller, just hoping that it does hit. And then all of a sudden you have this crazy explosive two-way guard who hasn't played a lot of basketball. You take some time to develop them, and maybe it, it hits what you need to be a couple of years down the road. Yeah, I was talking to an NBA executive on the phone uh, earlier this week, and one thing that we kind of brought up was the idea of comparing kind of the NBA landscape to startups and people that like live in the startup world and like startup investors startup investors will invest in companies not like they're going to fail probably seven out of ten six out of ten right but the goal is to hit the one that can like 50x or 100x your money not to find the one that will just like 3x your money because you feel like it's an it's you know a little bit right the goal here in many ways is variance like you want to find that high level variance and you want to find that high level upside jd davison has that if it works long term in comparison to someone like kennedy chandler in my opinion oh it's a hundred x we'll just see if it hits it's a hundred right? x but yeah. it's it, you also have to balance that and it's a great analogy Number one, where are you drafting? And then number two, how hot is your seat as a front office, as a general manager? You can take those kind of chances, albeit maybe a little bit more calculated, if we're drafting 32 or we're drafting 46. It's like, all right, let's just take like a wild swing and see if it pans out. If you do that at 10 and you miss, people are going to call you crazy. Like you might not have a job. But late first, if you got nothing to lose, if you're a contender, if it's, okay, worst case, he's the 10th man in a championship culture on the end of the bench fine it's it's where do you take the where do you take the risk like how deep are you willing to jump before you uh cut your own cord i guess see like this this is the poku discussion all over again right because if it's me like i think you take the guy that has a chance to genuinely change your franchise like poku might not be good like he's been terrible in the preseason so far i don't know if you've watched any of oklahoma city yet don't tell he, he's don't, been t- don't tell our friends on down to dunk please yeah uh sorry sorry Schleck. we love you <laughs> they uh, go nuts thunder fans go so hard man i love it thunder twitter is insane i just got a taste of it this the year uh, they they crowned josh giddy like the king 
after one preseason game. I think he was a bust in the summer league because he got hurt. Now he's the king. And now he played another preseason game. He was fine. And they're like, guys, take it as lumps. He's a rookie. It's like the swings you guys are taking are insane. And I love it. I, I, I encourage it. Just when I'm scrolling, I'm like, I, I can't believe this thing is, is actually happening. Oh, my God. It's the best. By the way, uh, just, just going to throw out there. I, I may or may not have uh, placed a little wager tonight against the Oklahoma City Thunder preseason team. What may may have been there? <laughs> but okay. Oklahoma City, like, have you watched either of their two preseason games? Um, let me think. I don't. I don't think I have. No, I've watched the Raptors about twenty five times. I don't know how they're always on TV on League Pass. I don't think I've watched Oklahoma City yet, though. <laughs> it, it looks bad. Like they're they're really really bad so far. Like genuinely horrible uh, in both the preseason games so far, and. <laughs> Denver is like treating this as a like drive run. It looks like like it. They started all of Jokic, Porter, Aaron Gordon, Will Barton, Monte Morris. Like Bones has played nine minutes. Campazzo is playing. Like everyone outside of Jamichael Green, I think, is playing tonight. Oklahoma City's up five. <laughs> we we, we <laughs> gotta just, we gotta just, come back a little bit. The way it is, it's a close loop a little yeah. bit on the Poku thing. So I'm just looking. So he was drafted. What, 17th? 16, I believe. So, like, you look at the guys after him, right? I, I just think that, like, that shot was worth taking. Josh Green, Sadiq Bay. Sadiq Bay's been good. Precious Chua. Okay, if you, if you want to take a swing. But, but you swing. know what, though? Like, that that's the thing that I'm talking about, though. Like, Sadiq Bay does look great. Like, that's a great pick for Detroit. Sadiq Bay's, like, going to be a starter, right? Like, how much is Sadiq Bay genuinely going to change the trajectory of your franchise? Not that much. I mean, like you yeah, can Sadiq find yeah, so Sadiq Bay. Poku was seventeen. Yeah, Sadiq Bay was nineteen. Uh, yeah, Poku can can change. I, I'm just scrolling here. Like Tyrese Maxey's been good. RJ Hampton's a little bit later. So my point is like you didn't take yeah you know, friend, friends of the program Malachi Flynn and Desmond Bain have been great. You you didn't take them. Yeah. What well, let's say like the. The Hawks didn't take him sixth, right? It's like you're, you- honestly, though, if if they would have taken him sixth, look, I, I don't know if I necessarily would have agreed at the time, but I think that my thoughts on this have changed enough to where I think yes, like I, that's fine with me because if you're comparing him or Nyeka Kongwu, who we think is like a solid double, right? You can find Onyeka Okongwu's. You can't find Poku's if Poku hits. Like, if Poku hits, it's a 100x of what you paid for him. Even at 6, it's 75x what you paid for him uh, over the course of the 6th overall pick in the first 4 years of his career. Like, to me, that's the kind of swing that you want in the draft. Like, that's how you win the draft, I think. You, you definitely can win it that way, a thousand percent. I just remember the the videos and the clips of trying to find Poku stuff, and it was like he was playing against, like, us. Like, it, there was no oh, there was yeah. no barometer of talent of what he was doing. Like, he legitimately looked like a seven-foot-one Magic Johnson hybrid, but it's like I don't, I don't know who he's. I, I, honest to God, I, I don't know who he's playing against. So because of that, it's just kind of hard to to make that. I mean, it's hard for everybody, regardless of who you draft, right? But like that's a, it's still a, a wild. Well, the Poku one jump. was, yeah, 
it's a totally different deal with the Poku one. Like just the, the level of tape that was out there on that guy was just like, you had no idea. And by the way, it was the same with Giannis as well. Like Giannis it, tape it, was yeah. hilarious. Yeah. If you'd watch it at the time too, and not to compare Poku and Giannis, Giannis just always had much better physical tools than what Poku had. But but if he misses, uh, Tyrese Halliburton is good, though. You're just going to hear about that forever. Like, well, Tyrese Halliburton's there. We had a hole. Like, you, you didn't take him. You went too crazy at six. Like, you do that later in the draft. But to, to me, again, like, from a process perspective, like, I'm okay with going for swings at this point. I think that's where I'm at. Like, I, I think that you try to 50x, 100x your money in the draft. Like, there's just – that. that's how you win – the NBA draft. That's how Milwaukee changed the trajectory of their franchise through building in the NBA draft. They hit Giannis, right? Uh, that's how uh, I'm trying to think of like other examples. That's how Denver hit. They drafted Nikola Jokic, who was 270 pounds and like overweight, but they had a first round grade on him. Sure, but they probably would have taken him in the first had they had the pick in in the 40s. I just is this an? It's easier to take him in the 40s. Oh yeah, yeah, it's true. Take take the swing. I just it sounds like it sounds like Oklahoma (laughs) City. It sounds like you're on board. Josh Primo with Russell Westbrook. Say it. it. Josh Primo is the right pick. Do it. Do it. We're here. Uh, Here. (laughs) Say it. Here's what I'll say. If I had a higher grade on Josh Primo, like if I thought Josh Primo was really actually like really good, I would I totally agree with you. Like your process in terms of evaluating where you had Josh Primo, I totally agree with was, taking him. Prob- if I was, was that was high on Primo, wrong. they they took him. I was like, oh my god, this is this is wild. But he he's been good. Reports are that he works. Everybody loves him. He's been in these tiny minutes. Like ah, throw a Primo, see what he does. Oh, he's eight for nine from the field. Those eighteen points and Spurs Twitter is going nuts. Like we did it. We we picked it. But he, that pick was crushed by a lot of people. And I could still be very wrong. But I, I credit that organization for taking that startup. 100x 50x swing to to try to change everything and by the way a prime example of this as well is the russell westbrook pick for the oklahoma city thunder they tried to they thought that russell westbrook's athleticism translated to playing the lead guard position despite the fact that if you go back and you watch his ucla tape like he was the off guard defensive specialist and they got proven right Right. at the end of the day so I, i think that's how you win that that's how you change the trajectory of your franchise. Like there is not a big enough difference in terms of replacement value for you know X, Y, and Z player. Like the difference between Sadiq Bay and signing Jeff Green to a three year fifteen million dollar deal. Sadiq Bay is better and it's better to have Sadiq Bay on a cheaper deal. But it's it's not going to make or break your season. Correct. It's not going right. to make or break your franchise. Right. No, it's a it's, like, yeah, it's yeah, fair I'm, points. It is. Yeah, um, that's where I'm at on the draft at this point. I, draft philosophy rant over. Let's uh let's buzz through some of these uh, upperclassmen that are returning, and then we'll take a quick commercial break. Okay, we're back. We're going to buzz through some upperclassmen, and then we'll buzz through some upside freshmen as well. Uh, Okay, first guy I have here is Kadari Richmond, who, uh, friend of uh, the Matt Penny side of the program, uh, 
John Rothstein tweeted about yesterday uh, saying he looked very, very good when he was at Seton Hall practice. Gadori Richmond, uh, his defensive numbers are off the charts, like not quite Matisse Thibel level, but like very, very high level in terms of steal rate, in terms of block rate for a guard. Uh, very good passer, playmaker for someone who is six foot five with long arms. I really like him. I have a top forty grade on him coming into the uh, coming into the year. I was I was lower on him last year. I know he's the draft Twitter darling, despite Syracuse, and it was just a it, it wasn't the right fit. We'll just leave it at that. Right, season didn't go as planned. He transferred. Sounds like Seton Hall's the right place. Forty five percent from the field. He was only seven for twenty one from three. Thirty three percent. Don't love the jumper. It is it is hitchy. I, I felt like the release points could vary there's a a slight hesitation at the top sometimes he shoots it too far in front of his face all that being said he does have handle can break down his guy Uh, i like when he came off curls screens to get downhill in the lane he's very strong he's physically imposing he's going to get to where he wants to go he can force it at times when when he's a point i think he's better as a combo and ironically his high school coach jason smith said everyone's wrong because everyone thought he's a wing and he's kind of more of this type of point guard He's just still far from being a finished product right now to contribute in the NBA, but also kind of an opportunity to give credit to Seton Hall and, and Kevin Willard because he's as yep. good as a player development coach as there is, in, in my opinion yep. anyway, and, and they've produced, and he hasn't had a five-star guy since 2016, and they've won 20 games in five of the last six years. It's a better fit for him to kind of get where he needs to go by being there. I think so, too, uh, especially in terms of just NBA, you know, development and upside. Like last year, they went 14 and 13, uh, still had a winning record in the Big East. They played a really tough out of conference, if I remember correctly, probably would have won uh, 20 games had they played like a normal out of conference last year. Uh yeah, overall, Kevin Willard, I think, has been really, really impressive. And by the way, like what really stinks about uh Kevin Willard not necessarily getting the respect that he might deserve is that year the the NCAA tournament got thrown out. uh, That's probably his best team. What were they, 21 and 9 or something like that? They were good. In 13 and 5 in the Big East and top 20 in Ken Palm, slated for like a top three or four seed in the NCAA tournament. Like they were really good that year. And it's a bummer that we didn't get to see them, uh, you know, just scratch and claw and uh, have a chance to play in the NCAA tournament. But what can you do? Um, Next up, let's go with, I don't know, which which one of this, let's go Andre Curbelo. What do you think of Andre Curbelo? I love Andre Carbillo as a as a watch. He's definitely one of my favorite watches because he he's got stones. I mean, he's unafraid. You, you throw him out there, he'd come off the bench just like run around crazy, and he is a, a momentum shift. I really like the way he places passes out of pick and roll to shooters or rollers. Then he fed the post really well to Kofi Coburn with these, these strange kind of angles and steps through. It's, it's almost like an instructional video on how to feed the post, which you don't see a lot these days. Just he, he has to make the game – up tempo and, and that's where he thrives when he's able to keep the defenses guessing with his handle and his dribble moves now the negatives are he has to tighten up some of the looseness of his game without losing the flair it's like you don't want to pull him all the way back because that's what makes him who he is at the same time 
you know, when you're six foot one and he shot 16% from three, five for 31, yeah. had 4.2 assists to 2.6 turnovers, it, it's hard to make in the NBA with, with statistically with what that is, regardless of how good the tape may be. So, yeah, it's just really hard to make it in the NBA when you're six one, skinny, and can't shoot. That's just what it comes down to for me for Curbelo. Like, I believe in all of the distribution, passing, flair, creativity as a ball handler, the way he knows how to run a team, the way he knows how to run a team in transition, the way he organizes a team in the half court. I think all that stuff is very high level. I, I just... It, it's almost impossible to be an NBA point guard at six foot one who just can't shoot. Like, like he is a non-shooter right now. Oh, like, yeah. it's not yeah. just that. Oh, like he has a developing burgeoning shot. No, he's like a non-shooter at the moment. I, I have like a. I, I'm a little bit lower on him than consensus coming into the year. Acknowledging that it could end up being that Carbello is a player who kind of skies up my board because he has some tools in terms of the way he thinks of the game, in terms of his creative mindset that uh, you can't teach. At the end of the day, there there are those unteachable things. A lot of people were shocked, and I can't believe we're talking so much Sharif Cooper here on this program. When he kind of took that tumble, it, it sort of it, it didn't completely surprise me when you start doing the the math of of smaller guards who can't shoot, and and he shot it probably a little bit better than Corbello did too, uh, and a little bit better oh, out totally. of pick yeah. and roll. So if that's where he, his range was, and you're, you're seeing it kind of play out. He, he still needs to kind of advance, and, and he could, could come back and, and really shoot it. Maybe that bumps him up a little bit. He'll be great in college. The, the NBA still has a, a little bit of time to go. Okay, Iverson Molinar is next. Uh, you look at Iverson Molinar's numbers, and I've talked to some NBA teams, some agents that have uh, you know looked through all of the numbers for NBA prospects this year, and Molinar is a guy that has really stood out. 48% from the field, 44 from three, 80 from the line. Very few guards across the NBA uh, 2022 NBA draft cycle can really even come close to matching that uh, average 17 points a game he's not like a primary distributor necessarily no. but he is someone that just can score and can really shoot and can get to the bucket like he's a legit three level scorer he had seven games 20 or more points and in his game he has a real balance on his his catch and his step back and getting to his jumper and also another change of pace guy where he'll lull his man to sleep a bit and then has has a decent burst on his first step and he's not afraid to pull up from three if and when his man kind of is slow to react or, or goes under he definitely has to see the floor better especially when he comes off screens and catch He's another guy that he, he's catching to score. And because of that, yep. he'll force some tough ones in the lane at times where he's kind of hoping to get bailed out for yep. a foul and, and won't dump it off. Almost a one-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. And I do like the roster, too, at Mississippi State with Rocket Watts transferring, Garrison Brooks, Shaquille Moore. It'll be uh, an, another team that I didn't watch a ton of last year, but now based on his numbers and, and their personnel, I'll certainly be watching them a lot more this season. Uh, I have him as like a clear second round grade that wouldn't totally stun me if he has like a blow up year. Yeah. This year. Yeah. Uh, let's go Jordan Hall. We held off on Jordan Hall last time at St. Joe's. Uh, guy that considered going through with the 2021 NBA draft. Uh, 
interesting player insofar as a lot of feel for the game as a passer at six foot eight. Uh, real creativity, real court vision, real flair. Again, one of these like pass first guys. Better passer, or better, uh, not quite the passer that Andre Curbelo is, but a much better shooter. Like, if he has his feet set and it's off the catch, I feel pretty okay about Jordan Hall shooting the basketball. I don't know if, like, the glue is there to his game right now. Like, I feel like he doesn't really move when he doesn't have the ball. And, like, I feel like his defensive game is just very non there's not a lot of intent to his defensive game and that those things combine to worry me pretty substantially it does and his turnover number needs to be real thin i mean he had almost three turnovers yep. a game he handled the ball a lot and he again just some wild reads at times that result in turnovers which i think are fixable what i do like about him is that he's much better despite trying to be point guard at times as like a side isolation scorer his value is, is doing that kind of secondary creator from the wing and not necessarily having the ball in his hands to start the offense every play. And he's better when he gets those small players on an island and, and he's six foot eight and can go one on one. When it gets congested in the lane, it, the rolls, it doesn't really help him because when he doesn't have really that, that first quick step when he turned the corner. But there's also what St. Joe's did was there's intrigue for me as he can kind of come off screens or also be a screener and then pop and and force the defense to scramble a little bit like that's the type of offensive role i guess flexibility that appeals to nba teams so he can start receive that dribble handoff can lead the break and trail it uh he ripped through the atlantic 10 last year and just wasn't the same against the big boys in in auburn kansas and tennessee just have to see him perform more consistently against a higher level of competition yeah, no, I agree with all of that. Uh, a guy that has performed uh, in higher levels of competition, who was a big numbers player last year, I really like Kendrick Davis quite a bit at SMU. Like, he's small, I get it. Uh, he's like 5'11", he's probably 180, 185 pounds. He isn't like the most comfortable shooter right now i would say like i think that there is room for him to take more uh shots coming off of screens but man just maybe the most fun guy to watch in terms of uh running an offense distributing like getting everyone involved all of that stuff like he is so so good yeah we're not we're we're saying distributing he averaged close to eight assists per game He's productive at, at what he does, and he at five eleven doesn't doesn't scare him either. And, and point blank, like he's a scorer, he is, and and he uses a lot of moves to, yeah. to free yep. himself because he has to because he's a little bit smaller. And it's impressive because he's fast, but not necessarily like super quick either in one on one in the half court. So that's like kind of what like as evaluator, it's a, a little bit tougher. And his moves start mostly with ball screens. It's not like a lot of clear out. We're going one four. We're going top isolation does have that tight handle he's very tough there's no quit to what he does not discouraged when he's blocked the lane i just we've said this a lot about smaller guards it's translation i just scares me a little bit it's sort of like that max a smith in a sense like you're gonna get your points in college but at at 511 is that same style gonna work and and with the big boys in the nba why is kendrick davis not better than max a smith (laughs) well in what sense he is like a much much better distributor like 
not even remotely close, in my opinion. Uh, three to one assist turnover ratio. I think he led the. Did he lead the NCAA in assists last year? Mm, uh, Don't off the top of my head. Finished finished third in the NCAA in assists last year. Uh, real distributor, playmaker, passer. Average nineteen points a game. Can hit shots. Like needs to be more comfortable taking shots from distance. But hit thirty seven. Thirty seven percent from three yep. on four three point attempts per game. Uh, terrific driver attack oriented player uh high usage in a similar way to a smith's uh like i think he's just a better player like i really just kind of think he's a better player he's more physical at the point of attack defensively like uh, i get that max had the crazy run that got him on the radar of every uh every nba evaluator uh, and everyone in the nation because the oral roberts run was so great to watch I just kind of think that Kendrick Davis is actually the better player. More well, more well-rounded. I mean, Ace Smith did shoot 40, 48, 43, 89, so percentages better in, in that department. But I think Kendrick, yeah. Kendrick Davis probably gives you a little bit more. Yeah, like he's a better all-around player. Like he just does – he does more while not necessarily uh, being – like he's not a scoring liability. Like he averaged 19 points a game on a 58 true shooting percentage last year. Yep. Max A. Smith averaged uh, in a worse league, by the way, in the uh, Summit League, averaged I think 24 a game on a 63 true shooting percentage. So he's a better scorer. Like you're not going to see me deny that. But like, I just kind of think that defensively, Kendrick Davis is better as a distributor. It's just like night and day. It's not even remotely close. Uh, I think I'd rather have Kendrick Davis, I guess, than Max A. Smith. And we can transition this into talking about A. Smith. A. Smith is an incredible pull-up shooter. He's kind of a one-trick pony right now who gets an immense amount of help by playing in an Oral Roberts scheme that is the closest thing to an NBA scheme that you will like basically see in low-level college basketball. Like He has free reign uh, with an incredibly well-spaced floor to pull up from 35 and in. And with Max at Oral Roberts, he did have that set up with Kevin O'Banner and those high pick-and-rolls the whole time, and now he's gone. So I'm kind of interested to see what it looks like life after him, too, when you don't necessarily have that high ball screen for a guy who also averages like 20 points per game. Yeah, I think that's a significant worry as well. I, I want to see what Max looks like this year at Oral Roberts. Like, I, I just don't know. He's he was not good at the uh, the w- w- what do you call that? The NBA draft combine. Yeah, that's where he was. <laughs> he was uh, there. Yeah, the NBA draft combine. He was not very good when he was there, unfortunately, which is a bummer because I think there's some real uh, shooting potential at least. But uh, and it was a great story. I, I'm just not sure he's like a to the standard even though like he's a great scheme player within what oral roberts wants to do uh caleb love like real quick we should talk about him uh interesting player for sure uh had a terrible year in north carolina (laughs) like legitimately maybe the worst year in terms of efficiency uh of any guard that has entered college basketball in recent years yeah, I don't know if I was just wrong with him coming out of high school. Uh, can he turn this thing around now in year two in Chapel Hill? The half court and slower tempo game seem to be his nemesis. It's He has to get downhill and play fast. 
and there's still opportunity for him in the backcourt. Like, he can write the ship. Just there were some bad stretches freshman year. Yeah, I feel like he needs to knock down shots as much as anything, like, first and <laughs> yes. foremost. Like, he was a terrible shooter last year, and that's not really who he is. Like, any time that he played at lower levels, like, he was a pretty good shooter. So... I'm expecting a better year. I, I don't. He has a long way to go. <laughs> like it's, it's he, a he long does, and the road shot, back like, for even, him. He's probably more of a scoring two guard than a real point. But the shot wasn't there, so there's still a lot of questions. I mean, shoot 30 percent from yeah. the field and 26 percent from three. Uh, it's not great. Yeah, uh, it's just hard to like say much about like evaluating him because last year was so bad. Like this is a five-star kid coming into North Carolina, got the keys to the offense and just was terrible. Like I, I, I felt bad like watching him yeah, a lot of the too. time. Cause it just wasn't even close to the standard. So I don't know. Um, Javon Quinterly, on the other hand, had a great year for Alabama last year. Came off the bench for a long portion of the season, uh, basically throughout all of SEC play, and was just a ridiculous scorer. He was so good last year. He averaged 13 points, 46 from the field, 50 from three, 70 from the line. Uh, so creative off the bounce. He was the SEC tournament MVP. Uh, he's... He's such a creative force, just an absolute force of uh, making things happen due to how tight his handle is, how much shake he has, uh, his change of pace, like all of it. Like he, he has all of that stuff down as an NBA player. He's just six foot one, 175 pounds, and does not have a great defensive mindset at this point. And turns 23 in November and is technically a sophomore based on the extra eligibility year. So the NBA clock is ticking there, too. Like, Herb Jones had age concerns, and he was a senior, and they're a month apart in birthdays. He'll be a leader on that team. He did shoot 43% from three last season on 74 attempts. He is smart at using different angles of attack and release points at the rim, but, yeah. I mean, there's times where he drives, and he seems to be amongst the trees a little bit with a lack of athleticism. So, I, I like him. It's a great redemptive story after everything he went through with Arizona. He transferred Villanova. But the age thing doesn't help him much. Yeah, ended up like decommitting from Arizona and going to Villanova, right? Yes. If yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, just a, a tough situation. I'm glad that he's found success. And he's a real shot to be like an NBA backup point guard. Uh, just would need to continue shooting 44% from three, I think, to do so. Yeah, which really. is tough to do. <laughs> That's a good number. Yeah, tough. It was 74 times. I mean, I think he's going to take more than that this year. And. He'll still split time. I don't think it's say time, but kind of like the role with J.D. Davidson and I think the next guy we're going to talk about here. Uh, so he, he, he'll have a chance. He'll have a shot. Wait, who are, who's the next guy we're talking about? Um, did we talk about... Do, do you want to talk about Jaden Shackelford? Oh, no. I thought we were going the Keon Ellis experiment. Oh, we can we so like Keon Ellis is like more of a wing. Yeah, I've heard six, great six. things about Keon Ellis so far. Like I want to be clear about that. Like, uh, really good defensive mindset can really shoot. They were just loaded last year on the wing, uh, and he didn't get as much time. But I, I think Keon Ellis is going to have an absolute breakout year. 
this year for Alabama. Any scout that's been down there thinks he's like a pretty real prospect. Yeah, more of like the three conversation, but I just we talk about him now and sort of roll and backcourt wingish. It, I probably just had to mention him a little bit. Yeah, no, I'm glad we mentioned him. Uh, Adam Flagler averaged 16 points a game as a freshman at Presbyterian. Uh, came to Baylor last year, was a critical bench guard for them. Averaged nine points a game, 45 from the field, 43 from three, 87 from the line. Just a ridiculous shooter who I think is going to have the keys to Baylor's offense. I think he's their leading scorer this year, and I think he's a real NBA prospect. Tell me I'm wrong about Adam Flagler, Matt. Penny. I don't know if you are going back and, and watching him because he definitely knew his role last year, and when he transferred from Presbyterian, he took 275 threes as a freshman, and then he took 106 as a sophomore at Baylor. They win a national championship, and his numbers really pop. I mean, if you go in synergy, he's in the 99th percentile in spot-up shooting, 99th percentile in catch-and-shoot, and 96% in all the jump shots. The release is high. It's pretty quick. He works away from the ball and coming off screens. He's smart on back cuts and flares when his man's misplaying him. Uh, he'll step in and hit some floaters. He was better on film than I kind of remember watching him live during the last year. So I'm on board with the Adam Flagler breakout experiment. Adam Flagler, top 45 pick, I think is where I'm at. I think that that I don't know if he comes out this year even necessarily like he might end up just doing what Jared Butler did like averaging 16 points a game and then returning for his like junior season or whatever I actually don't necessarily know how old he is but he has an NBA skill set in terms of his ability to score the basketball yeah you always need shooters always need floor spacers okay uh uh do, do we want to run through like a few of the high upside freshmen? Like people are probably yelling at us that we haven't talked about Nolan Hickman yet. Uh, I, I just haven't seen enough of him to like really have a take yet. Like he, he's probably my biggest blind spot right now in the recruiting class. I just haven't seen a lot of him. Yeah, Gonzaga's a really. I tweeted this the other day. It's just crowded in that backcourt. It'll be a little less crowded with Dominic Harris getting injured. But for Hickman. Washington native, he attended Wasatch Academy. He actually committed to Kentucky before backing up, backing off the pledge, I'm sorry, and, and committing to Gonzaga. He will be back there with, with Andrew Nemhard and Hunter Salas and, and even Rasir Bolton, who transferred. He, Hickman, six foot two, has a plus three or four wingspan. I really like the way he attacks and plays with pick and roll. He can split the defense, he can spin, he can find different offensive options coming off of that. Very poised, very under control. It's kind of hard to speed him up. And already has that NBA pace of playing with five gears and, and not going as fast as he can all the time. Go slow, then speed guys up. I, I tried to get as much as I could from that Gonzaga sort of midnight madness scrimmage practice, which was tough to do. Uh, Want to see how it looks with, with Timmy and, and Holmgren in the front court and Julian Strother's going to break out year. And we talked about Hunter Salas, Receiver Bolton, Nemhard. There's, there's a lot of uh, tools there for them to play with, too. Yeah, I just don't know the way that that whole backcourt is going to shake out. Like, we should also talk about Andrew Nemhart, I guess, here, too. Uh, he's been a player that long has hoped his future lies in the NBA, as many do. He was invited to the first G League Elite camp um, and didn't really perform well there. I just worry that he might not have enough juice as an athlete, unfortunately, to make it work at the NBA level. But great decision maker great passer and I, I would expect that he will run the show 
quite a bit for Gonzaga this year too. Yeah, steady. You trust him. I mean, he his numbers all dipped from the transfer from Florida, but he cut his turnovers in half. So I feel like that team will give him the ball and kind of let him set the table for everybody else. Not as high draft stuff, but higher as a college player, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's absolutely right. And I think that, like, Mark Few isn't going to complain about that, right? Like, he's probably no, he's happy. ecstatic that, yeah, he's got a great college player. Uh, Aminu, or no, let's finish on Hunter Salas before moving on there. Uh, I always saw Hunter Salas more as, like, a four-star prospect that was a multi-year guy as opposed to, like, a super high-level five-star. Uh, I-, I think he's a multi-year guy at Gonzaga. Like, I think he's pretty good, and uh, it's probably just going to take a little bit of time for him to adjust to the increase in competition level he could he's six four six eight wingspan still kind of all arms and legs and growing into his body really solid all-around game i mean he will search for dunks in the middle of traffic and not this super super athlete yet through contact and not a, a super shooter so he kind of needs like a little fine tuning and I, I did see he won the gonzaga dunk contest and didn't seem intimidated in the scrimmage i was trying to get anything from it, it'll be adjustment to high level basketball as shown with his kind of performance at the iverson classic the all-star game he was fine but it wasn't this guy and recruit as his sort of being billed uh I, i'm buying stock i just don't necessarily know if it'll be right here right now as a freshman yeah, I'm, I'm definitely buying stock long term. Like he's an NBA player long term, but like you said, like he has to grow into his body. He has to continue to improve the jumper, and, and he has to continue to improve the jumper, yeah. not as a jumper, as a jump shooter. He needs to continue to improve, and we'll see where what it looks like at the end of the year, right? Like I, I think he's going to be a really really good player, and it could probably help him to get a second year at Gonzaga. Yeah, I think there's a a couple of the guys who are going to take prominence, and he's not going to necessarily have the opportunity to be the dude. I don't think that Gonzaga is going to play him in these like stretches where he's going to show necessarily enough because they're going to try to win games. The final guy I have on my list here is Aminu Muhammad. Another player I just haven't seen a lot of. Like, I, I will, like, just cede the floor to you as someone who lives more in the grassroots space. Like, I, I've just seen very, very little of him and don't really even feel comfortable giving it to him. <laughs> no, thanks. Uh, so, native of Nigeria, he came to the United States at age 14, and he actually started playing with DC Premier on the Under Armour circuit. So, I've seen him for a long time. And then he transferred to a small high school in Missouri and put up these, like, ridiculous numbers where he was able to do whatever he wanted and it it looked like one of those zion williamson high school videos where he's just torturing the other team it's like who was this player his offense is very raw and it can be a little bit of a bull in a china shop but he plays super hard he's very aggressive all of the court finishing diving around finding ways to leave his impact uh, I really like him as a defender, sort of like that pit bull lockdown type of defender. Made a lot of fans at the Elite 100 a few years ago when NBA scouts were there. Uh, just w- what we said sort of about playing consistent high-level basketball like J.D. Davidson might just take a little bit of time to transition from high school to college. Okay, anyone else you want to talk about? Are we talking freshmen or generally speaking? Generally speaking, I think that uh, just we've like gone through on, like 20 guys. I don't know that. Uh, yeah. Adam Miller, I'm hoping he has a little bit of a bounce back at LSU. He had a good summer with USAB. Uh, who else? 
Let me see here as I scroll. Avery Anderson, what's your take on him? Uh, just a scorer, jump shooter right now. Uh, definitely a bit older from what I remember, too. Very skinny. I, I hadn't really even thought about him much as an NBA player, to be honest. Okay. And what about the other one, Isaiah Wong, Miami? Yeah, have thought about him a little bit more. Uh, really interesting player just because of the creativity off the bounce. Like, he can get to his shot whenever he wants. I think he just has to be a higher-level shooter at the end of the day. Yeah, had some big games. More of a scoring league guard at 6'3". Had seven points per game as a freshman, up to 17 points per game as a sophomore. 35% shooter from three. Filled it up some games. 30 against Louisville. 29 against Florida State, 28 against Clemson. Very good at pick and roll, but yeah, just need to shoot a little bit better. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, Tyson Etienne was the AAC player of the year last year. I guess we should mention him. Just a really high-level pull-up shooter and shot creator. Uh, I, I don't know if there's much else there for me. <laughs> well, that's good. That's a good thing to be player of the year. I mean, that's that's a good start. Yeah, totally. Like, I don't mean to discount him. Like, he's a really, really effective player uh, on the college level. I just, in terms of his NBA upside, like, he'd really need to be, like, a super high-level shooter, I think, to be that guy. Yeah, and declared, went back to school, didn't get necessarily the the feedback he wanted, and all reports are that he's working harder, he's going to be the leader of that team. Has to improve shot selection for sure. Uh, He shot 37% of the field, can, can get a little crazy out there. But it seems like he's playing with a greater sense of confidence after declaring, coming back, knowing what he has to work on. Yeah, uh, maybe the last guy we should mention is Jalen Worley oh, at yeah. Florida like State. Uh, yeah, I, I do too. Really, really creative combo guard. Like, definitely a combo, not really a point. Um, but really, really creative off the bounce. Has great change of pace, great change of direction. Like, Florida State obviously spreads it out a little bit more, but uh, and he's probably more of a two-year guy because – from what I've seen, the frame is going to take some time to develop. But overall, I, I think that, you know, real potential NBA player for sure. Six foot five. He grew six inches in high school. He, he is confident in his game. He gets on lane. He dictates pace. Need him to have a little bit more takeover to him. He didn't quite make the jump from his junior to senior year, as I thought. But uh, I do like the tools. And he's kind of the, the athletic gifts are, are catching up to his body. So when he puts it all together, he's going to be even a different player than he is right now. Yeah, no, I agree with that too. Uh, okay, uh, that's that's all I've got in terms of basketball stuff. Have you? Uh, should, should we talk about the Chestnut Man here? Oh, we can do Chestnut you, Man. You convinced I, I me to watch Chestnut, chestnut Man, man. Or, or Squid Game, but I can definitely do Chestnut Man. I, I still haven't watched. Squid oh my game gosh! Yet. Still, I thought I was late to the party. Still. I finished like three days ago. Yeah, I know it's bad. Um, I'm gonna try and watch this week slash weekend, but I, I keep like running out of time to do things. I, again, like me diving into Boston, uh, <laughs> I'm like Boston culture. Now. No time for realistically else. right now. Yeah, I'm a I'm a Boston I guy basically. No, I'm reading the Friends of Eddie Coyle, which is like one of the most <laughs> famous Boston books ever. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, like this is where we're at. Like I'm, I'm di- I, I, how am I supposed to find time to watch Squid Game when I'm diving so deep into Boston culture? That's yeah, it, a fair point. Well, I, how did I find time to watch <laughs> Chestnut Man, which is a Danish crime thriller? And and this is where you've rubbed off on me that I, I watched a dubbed Danish crime thriller on Netflix and actually recommended it to you. It's so good. I really enjoyed it. I really, really loved it. Why Why is their TV so dark, though? So dark. 
this person dead this person i'm like oh can we slow down for an episode it's like no we actually just yeah. crank it up speaking of dark by the way i watched um oh what what the fuck is this movie called it's a new zealand movie um it's called coming home in the dark oh, i loved it like i thought it was so good i i thought that like i i have not watched a movie that surprised me uh, as much as that one did and I thought it was just a really interesting almost really interesting take on the idea of like the revenge genre of films right. and holy shit is it dark penny <laughs> like, well if, I mean the chestnut man I won't give too much away but like the first episode it's a lot but you power through it and I was like I don't know yeah say I might watch it and say like that that was too much for me that was the whatever so I, I woke up till one morning you had a because our time's all messed up whatever you said yeah Laura and I watched it we're in we love it I'm like oh, no. <laughs> yeah I, I guess I've nailed your style this of is- cinema yeah, you, you really have. Like, you, you understand me so well, Deeds. Um, you know me all too well, Deeds. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just ready to get back to movie theaters at this point. That, that's what I need. But until then, I'm going to keep watching movies like There's Someone Inside Your House, the Netflix movie I about saw like, high school I kids. I watched the preview, and, and I did the Rotten Tomatoes test. I said, let me look and make sure it's over, like, 60%. And it was, and I said, I don't know if I can do this right now. Hey, I mean, look, like I completely forgot about it the moment after I watched it, basically, but it was, it's like fine. Like it's relatively enjoyable. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing are, are wrong with it. Are we in on the reboots? Are we going to be in on the reboots of, I know what you did last summer, Scream 76 that's coming out. Where are we staying on those? Wait, what? There, there's a Scream reboot? I think so. There's a Halloween. There's another Halloween movie. I know. Is there really another Scream reboot? I thought my buddy texted that. Scream returns. People. Thirty-five hours ago. Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette are back in new trailer. Oh my, Penny. I'm. uh, I I don't know if you knew this, but I am like. Scream is like one of my favorite movies. I wrote Scream, yeah. like just straight up. <laughs> oh, the, 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 you wrote no, Scream. I was joking, like you did. That was your prior life. Like I don't know if you know this, Matt, but I wrote Matt Scream Penny, Three. Matt Penny, the screenwriter of Scream, <laughs> yeah, would be the first one. Scream Three. I love Scream One and Two. Ah, well, One and Two's not bad. It, it went off the the deep end, the deepest of deep ends. But Scream Five, everything's a franchise, uh, an action superhero movie, or a reboot. So. We always net back out here. Oh, my God. January 2022. 100% in, Penny. Will you be in a movie theater by then? That's a question. You can't watch that at home. That's a movie theater watch. Oh, yeah. Laura and I will go to the movie theater, like, the day that that comes out and see that movie. Um, I, I really need Jeremiah Robinson Earl as well to stop, like, making shots. That would be nice. Uh we were within four with the Nuggets, and then Robinson Earl made a jumper, and then he like made a little like floater layup kind of thing. <laughs> God damn it! You come to Game Theory, you know what you get: preseason betting, Scream Five, breaking news. Here's a hundred guards we don't know what to do with. Something for everybody. Yeah, it's, that's 
That's the life. Yes. That's the game theory life <laughs> at this point. Is. We hope that, like, I hope college basketball fans are getting something out of these, like, NBA draft previews as well. Like, I feel like we're, like, you know, throwing out some intel. I feel like we're uh, talking about teams as well as just players, right? Yeah, a little bit. We're covering a lot of ground. Covering a lot of yeah. ground. That's the Rip way to put it. Again, <laughs> the, the game theory corollary, covering a lot of ground. By, by the way, do you know, have you seen the score of the Dallas-Charlotte uh, preseason game? I haven't because the, the way I podcast is set up, I'm just like staring at my closet. So unless something pops up here, I won't see it. Uh, Dallas beat Charlotte 127 to 59. Yeah, I did tonight. say before we started recording that Charlotte had 35 points in like the third or fourth quarter. Yikes! Yeah, that's a that's a that's a rough it's a rough go, uh, boys. Sorry, sorry about that. Carleek Jones uh, might not be bad, by the way. That's that's one that hmm. I'm intrigued by in uh, in the preseason. Well, preseason we gotta, we gotta take it all with a grain of salt, but the guys are playing well. At least they're kind of covering up their role, their niche a little bit. Okay. Penny, tell the people where the people can find you online. That was fucking horrible well, English. People. I'm tired. It's like one <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon here. Come it's on, it's ten o'clock here. So, uh, Matt underscore Penny on on Twitter. I'll I'll try to keep everyone abreast with the latest Scream Five updates as they become available to me. We we might be doing like a Scream Five update. We might be doing like a Scream rewatch on this oh, podcast. I, I mean. Yeah, Robbie Calland has already called uh, a game night rewatch. Mm, uh, have you one. seen Underrated. Game Night? Yeah. Oh, I think it's so good. I think it's like one of the most underrated comedies scream. of the last decade. It's not Scream. It's not Scream, but it's good. Uh, this has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. We will be back next week uh, at some point. Maybe even like this weekend. I really don't know at this point. Uh, whenever interesting NBA stuff happens, like with the Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons stuff, I will record basically and then next week the nba season starts so we will definitely have uh quite a bit of content coming at that point because we're gonna do opening night stuff we're gonna do x y and z on the nba season so keep it locked here but until next time we will talk soon bye